Hey, welcome everybody in to the podcast that is I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting. I'm half your host team, JT, along with Tom. Tom, how's it going? It's going good, man. It, you know, of all the other things that are stressful in my life, college football isn't one of them. It's, uh, it was a relief to get through the first week, and uh, I enjoyed the crap out of it. and oh, Headed man. to week two with yeah. just as much enthusiasm. Yeah, me too. Uh, before we get too far along and before you start dropping your patented cuss words, I just want to let you know, I think we're going to be heard uh, on tape delay on 95.5. That is the radio station out of Hackleburg. Uh, Huddy Hutchison is, has been nice enough to put us on a couple of times. So if you're listening to this and it's Saturday morning around 9 o'clock and, it's, uh, and you're probably driving down to go see uh, Alabama, Texas, then uh, this is not a live show. Don't call in. We're not going to give out a number. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Targeting Night. But this is the podcast we do. And if you're, you know, at the end, if you're like, man, I, I really like that. I wish I could listen to that on Wednesday. Well, you're in luck because we record this on Tuesday night. <laughs> and all you have to do is search up on your favorite podcast platform. It could be Apple Podcasts. It could be Spotify. It could be iHeartRadio. Or even on Alexa, the coolest thing is you can say, Alexa, play the latest episode of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting, and she will kick on right to the episode that we're on. But uh, enough about that. This is Longhorn Week, so uh, you excited about the game, Tom? I'm sure you are. I am. I am. This is this is where we get to see what's what. I mean, you know, it was exciting enough in week one to actually hit the field and figure out for sure who's under center and what the rotation's going to be. But week two, we're going to figure out what's what. Yeah, this is like a Christmas story where, and his name escapes me, of course, where he asked for the, the BB, the Red Rider BB gun. He gets the bunny suit. He's opened all his presents. It's not been a bad Christmas, but he really wanted that BB gun. And then his dad kind of nods over behind the piano or behind the piece of furniture, and he sees one more rap present. That's the, the Texas Bama is the other rap present that we're about to open up. But first off, I've got the commentary today, and I want to talk about a couple of things and uh, that's not even related to the Bama game, but it's about penalties. So you told me you watched the Florida State LSU game. I did. Okay, and, and the big college football fan you are, you had no clue that Clemson was playing Duke last night. <laughs> I spent a little too much time in the pool yesterday. <laughs> it happens wink, to the best wink. of us. Well, okay, I want to discuss two penalties, and I'm glad that – selfishly, I'm glad you didn't watch the Clemson game because I, it was a penalty I had never seen before. And uh, I, it was it was the right call, and I'll tell you all about it later. But first off, the Florida State game. So, a lot of people was like, well, I was for LSU, I was for the conference. Well, I'm, I wasn't. I don't like LSU. I don't hate LSU, as I've talked about on this very podcast – I don't hate them like I hate Auburn, like I hate Tennessee, like I hate Florida or Georgia. I, I don't know why. I just I just don't. But I do not like Brian Kelly. He's a Yankee snobby. He killed a guy at Notre Dame, Tom. Him and Brick <laughs> both. Brick killed a guy with a trident. I mean, he was responsible for a death at Notre Dame, and that like that never happened. But anyway, I digress. So first quarter, Florida um, LSU is running the ball, run right in. And it's a late hit. 
But it also, like they, you know, it's like a, it's a reach play or maybe an end around or toss sweep. But bottom line is, there's a couple of wide receivers out there, and of course they're stalk blocking. That's their job on that play is to stalk block. And you know, the defender he can't commit because if he commits, it's easy. You just turn him and push him that way, and then the back cuts off of your the angle. So they're just chopping their feet basically and trying to manhandle each other and not give up position. Well, he gets outside of everybody, and it looks like there could easily have been a holding call. So you know how we have uh, on on the SEC on a CBS on SEC we have Gene Steratore. Well, they had Bill Lemonier, and anyway, so the guy runs out of bounds. He gets hit late. It is a good call. It, the the flags come out, and I'm like, okay, well, it should be offsetting. It should be, you know, late hit out of bounds, <clears throat> and then um. Holding, and then we'll re, we'll we'll redo the down, replay the down. So they bring on Bill Lemonier, and uh, they're replaying the play, and he's talking to the guys in the booth. He said, "Yeah, you know, right here." He said, "You know, you you could call holding there, but it really doesn't affect the play." So I I, I would just let that one go, and I'm like, "What? Doesn't just because it doesn't affect the play, you're not gonna call it?" Okay. Well, first thing I'm like, okay. Well, what about if it's a guy? The, the, the left wide receiver, or let's just say the left defensive back, is slightly off sides at the play, but it's a toss sweep right, so therefore, ah, it didn't affect the play, let's just let it go. Or as we've seen more times than not, <clears throat> you have, um, there, it's, a, it's a line change, you know, it's a hurry up offense, and, and they're trying to switch out personnel, and somebody gets caught with 12 men on the field, and when I say caught with 12 men on the field, one foot is out of bounds. One foot is in bounds. Obviously, it doesn't even matter if the play's coming that side. It doesn't affect the play. They throw the flag. That just blew my mind that he was that oblivious. That was just a bonehead comment. Oh, my yeah, gosh. It was terrible. <clears throat> I mean, I, I hope he got roasted on that. On, on He's getting roasted on this podcast on our 202 <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, so, anyway, got that off my chest. Now, the penalty in the Clemson game, hats off, big kudos to the referees. Did you happen to, to hear about that today? No. Okay. So what it is is it's 21 to 7. It's 14 to 7 or 21 to 7 at this point, probably 21. And it's fourth and seven. And uh, – Clemson has the ball around midfield, and they probably slightly positive field on Duke's territory, and they've got to go for it. I mean, time is under 10 minutes, and, yeah, it's, it's got to be 21-7 at this point, or 14-7, I think they punt. So it's fourth and seven. Klubnik, the quarterback, he, you know, surveys the field, takes a snap, surveys, surveys, bounces, bounces. Obviously nobody's open, good coverage. So he takes off running. They converge on him. And he slides. He does a quarterback slide, you know, feet first. Well, you know, that – and I will – and hats – another hats off, tip of the cap, chip in your purse, if you will, to the referees. They are really punishing the quarterbacks for sliding. It's where you begin the slide. And, I mean, I, I look like if they start – let's say they start the slide at the 14 and then they uh, – you know, they, their butt hits the ground at like the 13 – They'll back it all the way up to the 15, 15 and a half, 16 yard line because they see the intent is there to slide. So Klubnik slides way before the first down marker. And when I say way, he's a solid two yard and a half to two yards short. His butt hits the ground and he gets demolished by a linebacker. Targeting, 
with intent to injure. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, crap. I mean, it still shouldn't matter. I, w- I was not for Clemson. I was for Duke. I, Dabo gets on my last nerve sometimes. So I'm like, well, they're still okay. But what it was, it was a dead ball foul because the play once he decides to slide and once he, he he is obviously in his sliding posture motion whatever the play's dead it doesn't matter when his butt hits the ground or his knee hits the ground or whatever hits the ground first the play's already over fantastic so call it was by a the turnover on it was downs. a turnover on yeah. downs and targeting the guy was ejected they penalized him 15 yards but it was duke ball and i just i i, I had never seen that play and it was an easy call to make as far as they were at Duke. They weren't at Clemson. You know, imagine trying to make that call this year at Auburn when it's the Iron Bowl or imagine trying to make that call at Tennessee late in no, or early November when it's Georgia and Tennessee and both teams are possibly in the hunt. But uh, just hats off to the refs. I, I, they had to have had that scenario in a workshop because I don't know how you can be that sharp, but that – Hats off to the ACC crew. I'm very impressed. Yeah. I guess that only comes into play on fourth downs, but that's uh, that's one of those where it didn't affect the play, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Turnover on downs <laughs> before stuff happened. Yeah, but I mean, sure. you know that that could that could hold true for a lot of things. Uh, you know, running out of bounds and getting a late hit out of bounds, absolutely, or, or anything like that. So, but that is interesting. I don't know that I've seen it come into play before. But it makes all the sense in the world for sure. Yeah, I had uh, I had never seen it, and everyone that I talked to talked to did Dabo about cry football. about it? Not too bad. I think he was already shell shocked and saw the writing on the wall, and it it was you know Dabo. We'll, and we'll talk about Clemson. I don't want to spoil it right now, but Dabo has failed to do one thing. Our loyal listener Clint uh, Sykes commented this on Facebook, and he nailed it, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But, uh, Tom, I have three questions. before we. Of course, the game of the week is going to be Bama-Texas. That's the only game that we've got oh, on the wow. docket to Shocker. talk about. I know. We're a Bama podcast. We're not even going to mention, outside of me mentioning Auburn-Cal, that's it. That's all you're getting from Auburn, California. So, if you want to do that, uh, listen to that, you need to type in, uh, I'm not a tree, you're a tree, on your, <laughs> on your favorite podcast platform. So anyway, get a Stanford. (laughs) Probably so. I have three questions from week one. You do not know the questions. I have not revealed these to you off the air. We're going to get organic responses. Are you ready? Ready. Question one, LSU and Florida State. Florida State, you know, you seem to be right on your early estimation of what you think LSU is or could be this year. Uh, as I, as we mentioned last week, you know, this game was big because if Florida State was to win, they've got Clemson and who else can beat them like this? Not a lot of – they don't play murderer's row. They're in the ACC for crying out loud. So should we go ahead – the question is this. Should we go ahead and pencil in Florida State to the playoffs? No, that's, a, that's definitely an overreaction, I think. Uh, now, they – they do, they do quickly become particular, particularly with their outcome and the Clemson outcome. They quickly become the favorite. Not that they weren't already the favorite, but they become the overwhelming favorite in the ACC. But as you already mentioned, and as I bang the drum 
I thought LSU was way overrated. So I don't give I don't give Florida State a lot of credit for beating a quote unquote powerhouse team because I didn't think LSU was. And I think LSU again is probably looking at us, you know, eight win season. That was my guess. Um and so with that in mind, if you knew that Florida State beat a mediocre team last night, does your opinion of them change? Uh I think it's just uh you know the the winning team definitely has a mulligan now and if you know LSU if they don't hold up their end of the bargain and we've seen that sometimes when Bama beats teams in the opening you know opening game of the year and we're like man if that team finishes 10 and 2 we're great well that team finishes 7 and 5 and all of a sudden that win doesn't look good I I think the jury's out but Florida State I mean I, I wrote down their their home and away so they have Southern Miss at home Virginia let me just go over the home teams you tell me where they drop one at home Southern Miss, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Miami, and UNA. Okay, so Duke's their toughest game there, which is crazy to say. <laughs> yep. Uh, but but they'll be a solid. Even if Duke continues to play well, Florida State will be at least a seven-point favorite in that game, likely more like 10 or 12. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't see a loss at home. Um, away games at Boston College, at Clemson on the 23rd, at Wake Forest, at Pitt in November, as we've touched on before, and then at Florida to close out the year. That's not a easy road game for a team like Florida State. I, when I said road game, I meant road games. Yeah. Uh, with the lone exception of Boston College, uh, those those games can give them trouble. They can, they can definitely give them trouble. They'll have to be as good as they were Saturday all year and improve to make it through unscathed on that road schedule, I think. That's not that's not a cakewalk. Not not for them. Yeah, I you know, they are the they're the early favorite to have the, the clearest path to the playoff, getting past LSU. But yeah, I'm not ready to quite pencil them in yet. All right, so now let's hey, yeah, before you move on go though, ahead. before you move on. I'm going to give you this opportunity because, like you said, if if this is being aired to some new listeners, they may not be familiar with it. But last week in in, in the preseason, you picked LSU to win the West, represent the SEC in the championship game, and had them on the verge or the cusp of the playoffs. I believe. Do you do you want to backtrack on that? I'm give you a do over here in week one if you want it. Uh, I'm going to stick with what I've got. This time next week, if Bama beats Texas, I think I would definitely switch my my pick. But LSU, you know, they got Grambling this week. And then week three, they have at Mississippi State. And that all of a sudden becomes a super important game. Now, they should win that game. They're better than Mississippi State. Mississippi State played Little Sisters of the Poor this weekend. But you know what? They won the way you're supposed to win. They they scored 40-something and allowed seven. And I know some state fans weren't happy. I talked to a few today. But a win's a win. I mean, take take your win. Bottom line is, they've got a veteran quarterback. I was not impressed by Harold Perkins. I thought he was going to be all-world. And he's a very good football player. But, man, whatever Florida State did, they took him totally out of the game. I mean, he just, and the announcers even commented, commented on it numerous times that, you know, Perkins just didn't, didn't have the impact. Kind of like – 
sometimes Will Anderson would disappear at times last year. You know, not often, but every once in a while. You know, he just he didn't fill the stat sheet. And if if I'm sure State will watch that film and figure out what Florida State did and do what they can to nullify his presence on the field. So that week three, you know, they could start out one and two, and then I'm definitely changing my Western Division pick. <laughs> oh, it's too late now. <laughs> All right. This question. is a one-time only offer. Uh, I'm going to stick with them, I guess. I, I shouldn't waffle. All right, question two. How much stock do you put in Colorado beating TCU? Okay, now remember, Tom, TCU is a playoff participant last year. So I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So how um, much stock? it was at TCU. Congrats to Deion Sanders. Very humble in the press conference if you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched all that game. Uh, so, so I had it on and, and watched it all, and I was, uh, I think, I think the thing that impressed me the most, or maybe it was shocked me the most, was that his son performed as well as he did under center. I thought that was going to be more like a peewee football gimmick where, you know, the coach's son is getting to play quarterback, and that's the way it is, particularly <laughs> moving from the division he did and, and that sort of thing. So I thought that was pretty impressive. I mean, he played – and I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that TCU – everybody knew – I mean, that was probably the, the largest drop from a playoff team to the next year that anybody's had, right? They were fourth in the country last year and, and was preseason 17th. Oh, yeah, that I'm hardly sure. ever happens. You, you know, so, so there, was a, there was an expected large drop-off in their, in their production – and how good they were going to be this year. So, so there's no illusions that TCU was a contending team this year. But with that said, they are a power five team, and there are not many quarterbacks that's going to play another power five team and throw for 500-plus yards. They're just not. And uh, that coupled with the Ironman football from Travis Hunter, yeah, and impressive. that was impressive as well. I mean, he just he's out there catching touchdowns. He's running away from DBs and then turns around and picks one off as a DB himself. So uh, from that standpoint, I think they have they have maybe a little more talent than I give them credit for. But I'm not sold on them. Uh, I think you get situations where you can have players – get hyped up for games. You can have other teams overlook teams. They won't be overlooked anymore. Uh, no, for sure. Prime time shouldn't open his mouth as big. But that's, hey, that's just who he is. He's not going to be able to help himself. But he's created an unwanted target. And as we may see later on in this podcast, I, I may not give them credit moving forward even this week. Well, yeah, that's a little little teaser. They're at home against a team that's 0-1, and we'll, oh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, back to – quickly back to LSU, and, and which kind of correlates with TCU. You know, TCU had so many one-position games last year where they won in the waning moments. Um, sometimes, you know, they kicked a field goal with time running out to win win a game. And I, I, I think if they miss the field goal, they don't go to overtime. I think they're down one or two. So the field goal actually won the game, not just uh, broke the tie. 
And like with LSU, and they mentioned it at least three times of the night, well, you know, this guy did this against Bama last year. They got – okay, first off, we went to overtime with them. So so the tight end, Taylor, number 86, he catches the, the two-point conversion pass and falls in the end zone, and they win. They win by one. If that ball is snapped over Jaden Daniels' head or Jaden Daniels chunks it in the turf or, or Taylor fumble fingers it and doesn't catch it and we they lose by one, does that really change the 60 minutes that they played? I mean, it to, me, it to does me it not. doesn't. To me it doesn't. You know, they are who they are. And you saw it much clearer than I did. And that's the, my point is they are hammering – in the broadcast, they beat Bama, they beat Bama, they beat Bama. They're getting way too much credit for that win when, in actuality, they easily could have lost just on, on, a, on a fluke, bad snap, ball slips out of his hand. They could have lost, you know, immediately. Uh, so, anyway, let's move on to question three. Who should be worried more, Clemson or LSU? Well, I'm biased on this one, of course. Because uh, uh, I, I do think LSU is is grossly overrated. I didn't look at Clemson that hard this year because I didn't consider them a contender for the playoffs. We tend we tend to be very Bama centric, and then getting outside of our Bama circle, we tend to be very SEC centric. And then on the next level of that, we tend to talk about the teams that we think have playoff. Uh, implications or, or contenders for the playoffs, and I didn't. And Clemson didn't fall in any of those categories. Obviously, the first two, but the the latter is the big one. So I didn't pay them a lot of attention this year. But I will say this: you know, we have talked about Clemson in the last couple of years because they have missed the playoffs uh, for two years in a row. They they probably just eliminated themselves for the third year in a row, I believe, and they had. They had been traditionally playing a very, very weak schedule, but getting there on name recognition alone. But they've been on the verge of the last two years of not even being a contender in the national playoff picture while their schedule had not improved. It was still the same mm-hmm. weak teams. They were just finding ways to lose to weaker teams. So it was pretty obvious to me that their their talent level, their coaching level, and it all really started when all the coaches left, um, has been on a steady decline. And so it doesn't surprise me that they are uh, not going to be a contender this year. It surprised me how well they lost in the first game. I mean, that that was definitely surprising. It was more surprising they even played last night because I didn't realize it, but still... (laughs) so I, I don't think that it's hard for me to answer the question because I, I didn't give either one of these teams credence, but which one should be more concerned moving forward? I would say probably Clemson just based on how, uh, I guess, one, how they lost. They both, both teams lost in similar manners. But for Clemson, I don't necessarily see a lot of playmakers or star power on that team uh, that LSU, you know, LSU definitely has some of those, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't necessarily know where those are on the Clemson roster. So I would say Clemson probably should be a little more concerned moving forward. I'm glad you chose them because I chose the other side. I'm gonna say LSU based on on schedule, and you know, I put on Facebook, I, I, t- I 
tickled myself. I put on Facebook uh, when they were getting when they uh, were getting trounced pretty good toward the end. I said Brian Kelly desperately looking for the service academies on his schedule, and you know, and I got a few laughs, a few comments. Well, I looked at their schedule. They play Army this year. I had no clue when I made that post. So, uh, but it, it was funny. Now, but now, go ahead. Now, let me ask: you, Are you are you are you finished with that, or do you want to drive some more points home? No. Okay. Here's why LSU should be more worried than Clemson. So, so, so you didn't you do not have the luxury of watching the Clemson game last night. Okay, Clemson missed two field goals. Uh, block both of them blocked and and they've got a kicker that they thought about letting try a 68 yard field goal right before half they said he can kick them from 70 in practice Dabo didn't try it but they they got two field goals blocked you got to figure that's not going to happen every game Tom they fumbled twice inside the 10 and one time like at the two and a dude sco- care of the ball. scooped it up, and Klubnik ran him down. Like Klubnik's got <laughs> Klubnik's got some wheels, dude. So they, at one time in the third quarter, Clemson had 15 plays inside the Duke red zone. Duke had 16 plays total. So they threw for 200, ran for 200, and lost, and lost big. But it came down to turnovers and blocked field goals. So I, I think Clemson has the ability to put it together. Now, in saying that, that, yeah, they don't have the playmakers they used to have. You know, it's amazing when you lose NFL starting quarterbacks how your talent sometimes dips. You know, they had Watson, and then they had uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and they thought DJ Ungungale was going to be the next guy, and he just didn't pan out. And Klubnik's highly rated, but, you know, it doesn't appear that he's going to be starting in the NFL in the next couple of years. But they're playing – they have a lot of names that are recognizable to Bama fans, like Pierman. He's a, he's a player on the team. I don't know if he plays or not, but that, I, I assume that's Danny Pierman's uh, son, who Dabo probably played for. you got Will Turner logging minutes at, uh, at the wide receiver position. Tom, Will Turner could not start – at any he he might start at Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, uh, Missouri. That's the level of talent. He's no knock. Hey, congrats on being at Clemson. But he just he he. There's no way he would start at Bama. There's no way he would get minutes at Bama. He wouldn't get minutes at Auburn. You know, and Auburn's not that strong this year. So I think Dabo plays too much daddy ball. But. They've got Will Shipley, who uh, – and Clemson's only touchdown was when they got uh, the Duke fumbled a punt and set up shop inside the 25, 30-yard line, and then it took, them by, it took them a few plays to get in. I think they scored on third down, a little swing pass to, uh, to Shipley, who is a phenomenal running back. But I, I think LSU, based on the schedule, and they quit, man, other night. I don't know. I, th- I was texting Neutron, I think, and uh, they quit. I, I could not believe it, but on the the touchdown before the last one, they uh, is like a little end around or reach play, and the defensive back just like oh laid it. I mean, total. He should get roasted on film study. So that that is not that does not bode well that you can't finish out in the first game of the year. Like, what's it going to look like when you come to Bama and Bama's on a roll and you've got three losses and and we get up fourteen nothing? You know, it's. Uh, it doesn't bode well. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy than Brian Kelly. Who killed a guy, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's get into game of the week, uh, which is Bama and Texas. I feel like I have talked the majority of this podcast. I'm going to let you start start us off here. 
Um, <clears throat> think I think in talking about Batman Texas, I wanted to kind of look at what we did in week one, and let you me know, call. Let me call. Started, let me call a twenty second timeout since you brought that up. I, I should have said this at the outset. Okay, if we're gonna say, well, Bama's playing Middle Tennessee State then we've got to say, well, Texas is playing Rice. So let's get that out of the way. We're going to talk about these teams regardless of who they play. They both played Division One teams, so we're going to go with the expectation that both teams are good, are good of average to above average to really good because we can't say, well, Texas played Rice and, well, Bama played Mitsu. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that was a good way into my stuff because we both know where those teams are at. But you're correct. I mean, we we but we've got equal uh, representation from both teams uh, in games. So yeah. all right, carry on. You take what you want with it. But you know, before the season started, you asked me a question when it was leaning towards Milro starting. You asked me if we would take. 200 yards and two TDs from Jalen Milrow through what the first five games of the season with no turnovers. Yeah, I think Isn't that so, what yeah. you? Something I think like it's something along those lines. He had 194 yards, two TDs, and no turnovers in the game one. It's almost exactly what you'd ask about. And I and I, if I remember correctly, I think I said I would take it except for Texas. I think we need a little <laughs> more production out of yeah. it. So, but here, here's the good things that I thought happened this past weekend. Because you're right, you can't glean everything from a team like Middle Tennessee. But it, it is game action. It's the, it's all you got to sample size, and and so you take what you can. So here's some things that I took away that were real, real positives. Only two penalties on the day. We we struggled with that last year. Yeah, it didn't matter sure. who was playing. We we had yellow flags all over the field. I mean, I, I think we averaged 10 or 11 penalties a game last year. I forget what the number was. It was high. And we had one of those games where we had, what, 16, 17 penalties yeah, against was, A&M or something. Gosh, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so so that was good to see. We forced two turnovers yesterday. So we're, we're two, two plus two in the turnover column. And we ended the year last year negative in turnovers, I believe. So two two really good things there, regardless of who you're playing. We've, we took care of the ball, we forced turnovers, and we didn't make any silly penalties. That's, that's a positive. Um, the defense only gave up 211 yards. You know, that, that Middle Tennessee State team, obviously they play in the – I say obviously. They play in a lesser conference. Is it Sunbelt? Is that where they play? Possibly sounds right. Sure, let's go with it. What one of those? One of those. But you know they were a bowl team last year. Actually, won a bowl game. I think they beat Toledo in their bowl game last year. We held them to 211 yards of uh, total offense, which was good for the defense. Uh, so I think those were very, very solid for us. Now I did have some concerns. I had plenty of concerns. And I'll ask you this question. Is it concerning to you that our number one running back, Jace McClellan, had a single 20-yard rush, and then on his other nine carries, he only netted 19 yards? Yeah, that's that's rushing game was not what we had hoped it would be. I didn't find that the offensive line was creating holes like I thought they might. Um, and again... Maybe they wanted to go with more of a straightforward scheme in this game and not show Texas a lot of 
you know, uh, pulls and stunts and whatever else they got up their sleeves. But, um, you know, it was a little concerning that we just didn't blow them completely off the ball. Now, Roy Dell Williams, he, he averaged five yards per carry, but he only touched the ball seven times. On the splits, here was something that I found was interesting. 30, now, I this stat only assumes, I didn't go back and look at each play, this stat assumes that all our quarterback runs were non-called runs. And I can't remember if we had a – I don't remember an actual called quarterback run. I don't either. There might have been one, but I don't remember one. But if we assume that all the quarterback runs that occurred, and there were 10 of them, were, were pass plays, then we had 34 pass attempts versus 30 rush attempts on the day. Pretty balanced. Mm -hmm. And I think we got away from that a little bit last year. But we honestly – or I did, I thought we would be more running. I thought particularly in a game like this, we would have rushed the ball more than we would have passed the ball. I just thought that. Yeah, for sure. It, it didn't happen. Uh, another concerning thing, there was only one catch for Malik Benson on the day. Uh, I know it was his first game in the Bama uniform, but that was the number one JUCO player in the country. And you would expect it a little more production. Now, other, other receivers did well. Uh, we only had one catch out of the backfield. I think you'll see that change on Saturday. By the way, I think that was a that was more a play calling scheme than it was lack of running backs or anything. But we only we only threw it once out of the backfield, uh, and that was to Roy Dale. And here's the last thing that I found really interesting on Saturday's game: Caleb Downs, Deontay Lawson. Kendrick Blackshire, Terrian Arnold, and Trajan Marshall. Those are your five top tacklers on defense. Youthful. Besides, but yeah, besides Terry and Arnold, there four out of the five are new starters. Now a couple of those have been on the team a couple of years, but they are new starters. Uh, Dallas Turner only recorded two tackles on Saturday. You mentioned Will Anderson sort of disappearing at times last year. I hope that's not a trend for for Dallas. Um, so I mean that that was a that's a quick rundown. And and Texas, you know, when they played Bryce, they had they had some some similar type stats. Ewers threw for two sixty and three touchdowns, no turnovers, which was good. I did read an article today, though, that said that he was 0 for 6 on passes of 20 yards or more. Mm -hmm. They had a couple of long touchdowns, 40-some-odd yards, but they were just little dump passes that the wide receiver turned into big plays. So something to keep an eye on that, you know, they're a little frustrated that he can't get the ball down the field. Um, but, and I didn't realize this, one of their big receivers, uh, big-time receivers, Jatavian Sanders, uh, Phil Steele has him the second best tight end in the country behind only Brock Bowers. Wow. And he showed it on Saturday. He had three or four catches for, you know, a handful, 60, 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that's something to look out for. It's good practice if you get Georgia down the line, too, because uh, tight ends can be dangerous, as we know. So, I, you know, it's it's hard to predict – based on one game sample size for the two teams, how we're going to stack up to Texas and, and what we're going to do well, what they're going to do well, what's going to give us fits. But I think we're going to have to run the ball more effectively on Saturday. Milrose still got to protect the ball. 
but I don't think we can get into Saturday's game and expect Milrow to pass us to victory. I hope that's not what we expect. Um, I hope our, our offensive scheme has more runs in it and is more effective than what we have been used to in the past year as far as scheme-wise. We, we, we hardly ever out-schemed anybody last year. We out-talented most everybody. Mm-hmm. We never out-schemed people. Would you agree with that? No, for sure. We just relied on how good Bryce was, I felt. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I never, I never got into a game last year and said, man, our offensive coordinator had a game plan. They just had the other team on their heels the whole time. That never happened. Um, and, and we used to do that all the time. You know, uh, so some of those games, I, I, one of the games that sticks in my mind all the time is is the first blackout game at Georgia that we went to. That was the most well-called offensive game plan in the first half of that game that I think I've ever seen from Alabama football team. Oh, it was unreal. I mean, it was unreal. It was, it was yeah, everything worked, and it was just caught off guard. Every every play was just beautiful. But So I'm, I'm hoping we have a scheme uh, that, that's going to – that's going to give Texas fits this weekend. We will see. This is where our coordinator is going to make their money, and, and we're going to see whether or not Tiffin is correct and we're going to lose three games this year, or I'm correct and we're going to be back in the playoff. Yeah, I, I looked at the – of course, I watched most of the game. Did you watch the Texas game? Uh, I had I had it on. I didn't yeah. see all, every play, but I had it on. Well, you know, I was scouting for uh, for just just in case Coach Saban calls me this week and asks me what I, my thoughts were on the game. I can tell him because I, I I watch film on it. So, <laughs> but yeah, you, you need to be prepared. They were they were not impressive early. They were they were pretty impressive late. They they kind of did their scoring in the second half. Uh, they got three off what I would consider their script. They went three and out to start the game, and then they drove right down the field in their second possession. I only got three points. You know, they had to kick a field goal. So, uh, and they kicked lots of field goals. Uh, you know, I think it was 13 to three, 16 to three at half, which 13 would have been two field goals, 16 would have been three field goals, regardless. But then they scored three straight touchdowns. So they're, they're a dangerous team. Uh, you know, X Worthy, the, the receiver, is just would, would start. He would be WR1 at Bama, and, uh, of course, the tight end would be TE1 at Bama. They're probably TE1 everywhere, like you said, except for Georgia. So, Ewers, he was 19-30, 216, three touchdowns. But like you said, nothing nothing downfield like uh, like Milrow, Milrow dropped dimes. And, you know, b- the biggest complaint on Milrow that I've seen is he didn't hit his intermediate passes. Well, now that is a concern. That's what moves the chains. But, man – you know, he hit two or three deep balls that just really, really looked good. And Ewers didn't. Ewers was all over the place with his deep balls. So that'll play in our favor. One concern I had, but Texas has to have it as well, uh, they won their time of possession over Rice 31 minutes and change to 28 minutes and change. We lost our time of possession with Mitsu 29 and change versus 30 and change. I really felt like that we would dominate the time of possession and we didn't, uh, you know. I don't know why. I'd have to go back and rewatch the game, which I'm not going to do. Uh, it was late in the afternoon, Tom, when Bama was playing, and uh, I had the the speaker on. So I had all the TVs on mute, and I was listening to uh, Jimmy Buffett, rest in peace. So uh, you know, just I didn't follow the game probably like I should. To be a, an esteemed Bama podcaster, I probably didn't follow the game like uh, like I would be expected to. So. 
But well, I think it's been quite some time since we've won uh, time of possession on a regular basis, and, they, and and I think that's more more geared towards how quickly we score on offense. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it used to be such a big thing when we were running the ball and grinding it out and playing defense, but uh, when we stop when we stop playing three yards in a cloud of dust, our our time of possession is all over the place, but. I, well, I think it's important I, this week because I, I, I don't see, like agreed. you said, like you said, I don't think that Milrow. I don't think we're going to ask him to pass us to victory. Now, on the on the flip side, let's say he does pass us to victory. Let's say that he throws. Uh, let's just say he does his numbers from the Saturday. Uh, he had thirteen. He was thirteen of eighteen for one ninety four and three touchdowns with two more rushing. If he does that, he's one of the top three guys in the Heisman because. He will have done that against Texas, a highly ranked team. So he has the capability to, to insert himself into the Heisman race, but that is not the goal for us in week two, I can promise you. You know, I, I'm like you. We've got to grind it out. We're going to see more. I, I could see more of a 2008 Georgia game coming where it's first and 10, second and seven, third and three, and then convert, you know, move the chains, convert a third and three, at just barely, you know, uh, you know, get four yards and, and move the chains and then strategically pick. You know, then all of a sudden, first and ten turns to second and one because we get a good, a nice nine-yard run. Then take your shot downfield, you know, take the deep out, take the go route, whatever. But I've got two keys to the game, and the first one is Milrow must do Milrow things. Like other night, he uh, – Took the, the the first touchdown we scored. It was a bad snap. He picks it up. He runs around the end, dodges some people, and gets an end zone. I don't think he is able to do that against Texas because, obviously, Texas is going to have better personnel than Mitsu had. But that's the type of stuff he's got to do. He's got to get us. He's got to minimize our bad plays. And I watched – there's a great show on SEC Network in the mornings. I think today was the first day. Is Read and React with Cole Kublik and a Roman Harper. And they broke down some of uh, the miscues of our offensive line where, like, Caden Proctor just got demolished by a linebacker. And he's, a young, he's turned 18 in June. I mean, he's a young guy. And, uh, and then one, our running back missed a block. So when that happens, and it'll happen against Texas because Texas is watching the film that they're watching and probably even more intently, you know, he's got to get away from trouble. Like, when the linebacker comes untouched, he's got to slide away and throw it out of bounds, get a couple of yards, avoid that big seven-yard loss because with Bryce Young, Tua Tungvaloa, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, second and 17, I didn't even bat an eye. I mean, I just felt like we were going to convert with the, the personnel we had. And now second and 17, I'm like, man, let's, let's hope Jace breaks one for 10 so we get in a third and seven situation, then maybe we get a – you know, get a five-yard out, and uh, and Niblack turns it up and, and gets two and a half yards and converts, uh, you know, moves the chains. I just don't we're, – we're not a second and 17 team this year. Uh, nobody is built to be second and 17, but we're definitely not built this year. So, that's my first key to the game. And I want to save my last key to the game for when we close it out. So, do you have any key of the game that you'd like to discuss? Well – one thing to consider here, and, and I hope that Milrow is spending a lot of time in protection or protecting the ball and making good decisions. Phil Steele 
you know, the, our our legendary stat guy has the Texas DBs ranked 11th in the country and their linebackers ranked 10th in the country as a unit. That's solid on the back end. Yeah, it is. Very, very solid. That tells me that we really need to make a concerted effort at running the ball. But if we don't and we get in the situations where we have to pass or we have to pick up yards through the air, I mean, we're going to do that anyway, but, but particularly when you're forced to it, Milrow is going to have to make good decisions. Those guys are going to be very good. They're going to be ball honking. And it's not something where you're going to have that wide receiver like we did Saturday, 10, year, 10 yards behind all the DBs. And now, I agree that's great that he can hit that throw because not everybody's hitting it. That's 100%, and that's awesome. But they're not always going to be that open either. And I did see him Saturday throw a couple, two or three passes that uh, probably were ill-advised. Uh, uh, you know, into double coverage. Uh, he underthrew a long ball there. Um, so, so some of that stuff he definitely has to clean up. But it needs to be cleaned up in a manner that, not that you're making all the throws, but just so you're not making the negative throws. Don't give up possessions. And that's going to be huge in Saturday's game. And I think, to me, that's the key. If if we win the turnover battle Saturday, I feel like we win going away. I really do. Um, if Milro throws a couple interceptions, the game's going to be close. It's going to come down to the wire. And I just showed you how effective their back end is. So that's that's not a... That's not an unprecedented thing that he, he would do for him to throw two interceptions. He may not have a terrible game to throw two interceptions, I guess is what I'm getting at. I mean, he could still be playing well and throw two interceptions. Mm -hmm. But if he can minimize turnovers, uh, I like us. Yeah, I think he has, we've got to have more design runs, and I think we will. I, I'm quite sure that Texas stayed pretty vanilla with Rice and – as evidenced by they just couldn't pull away in the first quarter. And that's one thing that was exciting about our game is we scored exactly 14 in all four quarters. That You know, it's, it's nice to put constant pressure. It's like a C-bet in poker, Tom. It's just constant pressure, you know, after the flop. I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. it. You know, I, I get I C-bet get here at my house at the house game, and it just makes me very uncomfortable. So if any of my poker buddies are listening, <laughs> let's check it down to the river, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I think we see more design runs. I think Texas definitely going to pull some tricks out of you know out of their uh, from out from their bag of tricks uh, from under their sleeve, if you will. <laughs> yeah, those some tricky bags. Some, some chips out of the purse. But uh, my last, my last. Uh, first off, we're a seven point favorite, and I got on ESPN.com today and looked at the game predictor. What do you think, a, and if you have not seen it, I think you're going to be surprised because I was very surprised at the percentage. They've got a game win predictor. So seven-point line at home, what do you think the percentage on a, on 100, 100% to 0%, anywhere in between, what do you think Bama's percent chance according to ESPN FPI predictor is? Let me ask you this, and you may or may not know the answer to this. Are all seven-point favorites – the same percentage, or is it, or is it individual to a team? Hang on, Tom. You, you cut out there. I, my my internet connection is bad. Ask the question again if you don't mind. I said, 
are all favorites in this predictor model? Are all seven point favorites the same percentage chance of winning? Or is it individual to the teams? I, I don't know. I should have looked at another seven point line, so I can't answer that. I'm sorry. I don't okay. I don't know. So so without that knowledge, I'll say the predictor gives us a seventy percent chance of winning. I, I would have guessed sixty five, thirty five, seventy, thirty at the worst. It's got us eighty point like two. We're because we're the reason the reason I say like eighty something, they're not twenty. They're under twenty percent chance to win. That blows my mind that we have an 80% chance to win the ball game. I, I just I don't see it that way based on a number of factors. Maybe we're just hypercritical of Bama. But here's my last key to the game, and it, it sucks because it's an intangible that you really can't control. But have you watched any of Swamp Kings on Netflix? I have not. Okay. Do you know what it's about? Is it about Gators? Yeah, it's about the Urban Meyer time and, you know, Tim Tebow. I've not finished it yet. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I've and, seen that preview. You know, yeah, so in, in 05, Urban comes out and he wins some games and they go to Kentucky and they, they beat Kentucky rather handily. And they come to Tuscaloosa where um, Vern Lundquist says that uh, that famous line of his. He said, in a, in a world of uncertainties, there's few truths, but one is this ain't Kentucky, you know, when, when Bama – and here's here's my point. The I will, and this was before Bryant Denny was a hundred plus thousand. I mean, I, I don't know what I don't know what our capacity was then, but it wasn't a hundred thousand yet. The loudest I have ever heard Bryant Denny get on a one play situation was that day when Brody to pro throw for the the opening touchdown. I think we'd actually punted already. I think it was our second possession, but I have never heard a crowd get that loud in Bryant Denny, and it just set the tone. The other time that it got as loud, it maybe just a notch under, I would rate it was 2007 LSU when Javier Arenas returned a punt to tie the game or take the lead uh, against. You know that was Saban's first year, and that's the key to the game. This crowd is going to be geeked up, and, and I, I think I think that's what carries us is the crowd is going to be unreal. We it's a night game. It's what wanted you know. We didn't have to get the big noon kickoff like we did last year. So I think the crowd. So I'm challenging any Bama fan listen to this. Get there, be loud the whole game, and I think you're gonna put us over the top. Uh, I I picked us to lose this game early on. I'm gonna change because Milrow accounted for five touchdowns. Let's be honest. If Milrow uh, accounted for one on one on the ground, one in the air, and we won that game, uh, you know, 35 to 10 against Mitsu, I would probably stick with us losing. But I think he's gonna do enough. I think the crowd is gonna carry us. I do think they. I think Texas stays within the number. I'm gonna say Bama 27, Texas 24. I like Bama to cover. I think. My score is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 17. I think last week I had us winning 56 to 3. I was pretty close. So this is going to be the year where I predict almost the exact score all year round. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So 30 to 17, chalk it up. That's the score. Well, good, good. As, as, uh, As the president says, that's the score. So you've got us covering. I have us not covering. That is a great segue into getting into our bets from last week, where we went the customary two and uh, two and two. I went one and one. You went one and one. 
I had Utah, which was an easy cover against Florida. I had Michigan, which was an easy non-cover against whoever they played. You had Wisconsin that didn't cover, and you had Florida State that was an easy cover. So, uh, two and two, you're paying juice this week. We'll try to do better. This week for game one, what you got? My top game, and this is uh, this is one where I'm going back to the well, and I was disappointed in them last week, but I still got faith in them. I'm going with Wisconsin. They're a road favorite over Washington State, six and a half points. They're giving up six and a half points. I think this is the week they kind of put it together, clamp down on the Cougs, and get the cover. All right, I'm going to stick with a with my team too that I took last week. Well, I didn't I didn't take them. I actually bet them. I guess. Uh, off the podcast, but Auburn minus seven at Cal. Cal, they don't care about football. They don't care about anything except smoking weed. I mean, Auburn's going to go out there, and they're going to bring in True. Red Zone Robbie. Did you watch any of the Auburn game? I did. Okay. How long is Peyton Thorne going to be okay with driving them down the field, getting inside the 10, and then uh, Red Zone Robbie coming in and <laughs> putting them in the end zone? It really hurts his Heisman chances. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I got Auburn covering this easy seven against California. What's your game two? Well, I premonished this one early on. I'm not a primetime believer, even though he's got more talent than he than they had last year. It's hard. It's easy to do that. I think they went one eleven last year. I believe. Yeah, they did. But. Uh, Nebraska would have been a favorite in this game this week, uh, probably in the preseason, six, seven-point favorite. And you get a one-game sample size, and now you get a solid 10-point flip in the line. I think there's a lot of value to that. So I'll take the Huskers plus three. They they lost their first game, but they played a really, really good defensive game against Minnesota. They actually had the lead all the way up to the end and lost it late to Minnesota. But their defense played well all day. Their quarterback play was atrocious. Nebraska's, by the way, I, I don't remember what that cat's name is, but uh, uh, he, he's got to do better than he did Saturday. <laughs> Very forgettable. But I think he'll have better success <laughs> against Colorado. Yeah. No, I, I like that. So I like you... Nebraska. If you are, if you're gonna go with the games that the line is too good to be true, you're gonna take Nebraska this week because Colorado went on the road and beat TCU. They're coming home only catching three at home. That's fishy. Baylor, I'm not taking this game, but I had it written down just in case you took my top two. Baylor is plus seven and a half uh, at home versus Utah. Utah just beat Florida. Baylor lost to one of the directional schools like Texas State or something. And only That's getting exactly seven and a half. It. Yeah, I mean, you know, Baylor might win that game outright. So, uh, but anyway, my second game, USC minus 29 and a half against Stanford. Uh, they're going to try – Lincoln Riley is going to try his hardest to make Caleb Williams a back-to-back Heisman winner. 29 and a half is just not enough. Stanford doesn't care about football. They, they care slightly less about football than Cal. So, I, I'm, I'm fading the, the California teams. So, again, recapping, Wisconsin 6.5, Auburn minus 7, Nebraska plus 3, USC minus 29.5, and and then your your bookie will owe you money come Tuesday morning. So uh, that wraps us up on this podcast. I appreciate everybody listening. If you're listening on 95.5, thank you. And, uh, you know, send Huddy a text or give him a call and tell him to to keep us on. Um, It doesn't cost him anything. We're not getting paid here. So I know know you're shocked about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you got anything, any closing before we actually close the show? No, I'll just wait for my residual checks. All right, cool. Well, don't don't bleed me out with the music this time, but because everybody always wants to hear my catchphrase, Tom. That was a full two episodes ago. Yeah. Well, as always, Tom, if you're gonna hate Auburn, you have to hate early and hate often. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Take it easy, guys. Have you seen Junior?